I promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. The Holy Gospel for this Christmas Day comes from the Gospel of St. John, the first chapter, beginning at the first verse. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through Him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not recognize him. But to all who did recognize him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas. It's a good word, right? Merry Christmas. And and I'm I'm not talking about, you know, trying to confuse. Yes, I know it's two words, but it's a good word, right? Pastor Chris, Merry Christmas is a good word. Right? We don't use the word Mary very much in, in our, our language anymore, do we? It's kind of this old sort of King Jamesy type word, you know, like the thys and the thous and the these and the vines and all those, which we should bring back into worship, but that's just me. But Mary, meaning lively, cheerful, upbeat, happy, jolly, joy-filled, pick your, your adjective. But Mary's a good word, right? Right? We like that word. We want to be merry and bright and all those things, right? And then you have the second word that's part of this good word that we have, which is Christmas, right? And we just throw that around, Christmas, whatever. We really don't talk about what it means. But what does it mean? Anybody? Mass of Christ. Can you get any more Christmas than this? A living Christ given to you in Eucharist, in communion, in the Lord's Supper. Can we talk about incarnation there at that table? Jesus Christ for you, a Jesus who comes to us as physical things of bread and wine that can be touched, that can be tasted. Uh, how, How much more Christmas is that than the sacrament given to you? And so we'll be able to participate in that this morning. But but this morning, we, we get this word of Merry Christmas, but in a very different way. It comes to us as a gift, a gift wrapped in flesh and lying in a manger. And that doesn't look... 
very much like a good word, but we're going to talk about that. That is what we need this, this morning. That, that in the beginning, before we get to anything else, we need this particular word, a, a, a good word. And, and so that's what we get from John, right? He, he talks about a word about a billion times in this first chapter. It just keeps getting repetitive over and over and over again. The word, the word, the word, the word, the word. Why does he keep talking about words? Words are important, but also because our lives are full of words, aren't they? The music we listen to, the movies we watch, the television we watch, the radio we listen to, podcasts, uh, uh, the preachers we listen to, right? The Bible, books we read, words everywhere. You cannot go through life without being inundated by words. The problem is, though, that besides the words that we choose to listen to, regardless of how we try and live our lives, our lives are filled with both good and bad words, right? We can try to avoid the bad words, but they still come to us. And I'm not talking about the four-letter words that grandma would not like you to say. Right? I'm talking about the words like you stand up in front of the church and you and your spouse say, I do. And then a few years later, you hear the words, I don't. Right? Or you hear the words of, it's a boy, it's a girl, yay! And then you get the knock on the door from the police with the word of, I regret to inform you. Right? Good and bad words. Or the good words of, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful. And the bad words of, you're so disgusting. You're so small, you're so ugly. On top of that, then, Pastor Chris and I always talk about the the words that also come to us of demands and expectations, right? The things that we call the law that comes to us, the thou shalts or the thou shalt nots, right? And, And even Christmas can come to us as law, right? Pastor Chris talked about this last night. The tree trimming, the decking of the halls, the baking of the cookies, the buying of the presents, the wrapping of the presents, the giving of the presents, the fact that they were not as excited about the presents that you gave them as you wish they were comes to us as law. Law. These, these demands, these expectations. If you're going to have the Christmas spirit, you have to follow this, this sort of rubric of, of to make sure that you are not Scrooge prior to the Christmas of yet to come spirit. Right? You want to be the Scrooge at the end of the movie, not the Scrooge at the beginning of the movie, right? But the problem is, is that sometimes, depending on how Christmases have gone in the past, even the current Christmases leave you in the bah humbug sometimes. Right? But then also we get, the, we get the two words that are sort of kissing cousins, the what ifs and the if onlys. The what ifs of our life where we say, well, what if I had done this? What if we do this? And then it gets worse when it gets into the if onlys of if only I had done this. Or if only we lived in this different place Things would be better, but the problem is, is that we fail to usually recognize that part of the issues that we have are having in the place that we are right now is not necessarily because of the place that we are, but is because of who? Ourselves. And so regardless of whether we leave one place to go to another place or leave one job to go to another job or uh, uh, leave one circumstance of life to, to find a different circumstance of life, oftentimes those same problems, those same struggles, those same bad words can follow us everywhere we go. 
the words that break us rather than heal us, the words of you failed. Or even worse, not just you failed on this project at work and you go, okay, well, then I've got another project I can do. No, the the worst word, and I believe this wholeheartedly, is you could have done better, right? Okay, so you made it. You got a C. You could have gotten an A. How, How much worse is that than, well, you got an F? At least with an F, it's like, okay, I did really, really bad. I can hope for maybe better, but... You can always improve on an F, right? A C, you're kind of like, I could have done better. And then you spend the rest of your life with that mantra of, oh, I could have done better, and so we're never happy. That goes along with the why did I do that syndrome that we get into, but that's for a sermon for another day. Wherever it is that we attach our importance and our purpose, that is where the bad words come to get us, wherever it might be. Because at some point, wherever we're attaching our importance, wherever we're attaching our purpose, we're never going to measure up in those places, ever. We, we will not do well enough either by the standards we set for ourselves or the ones that others set for us to be able to make sure that we can avoid the bad words and get the good words going in our lives because there's always going to be expectations and demands in that place. And so this morning... We need a different word to come to us, and that is why this word has come to us this morning, this good word, specifically a word from God, and it is a word that gives life, and that's all it does. It gives life, it creates. Because I don't know about you, but I can't read John 1 without reading Genesis 1, because they both start the same, NRK, in the beginning, right? Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. How did God create in Genesis? By the Word. He speaks, and it comes into being. God's voice was there in the beginning, and nothing that was... Did you hear this in John 1? Nothing that was not spoken by that Word came into existence. Anything that got created, got created because God said, may it be so. And that is what shows up here. So that where this word is spoken, this John 1 word, this word that comes to us in Jesus Christ, in the manger, this Christmas day, is the very beginning of all things. Have you thought about that? The beginning of everything that has ever been was in that manger. The very beginning of time itself put on skin, wore diapers, got nursed by Mary. The very beginning of all things. What has come to you in Christmas is the beginning of time itself. Before all sin, before what you consider to be existence, comes the beginning wrapped in mortality to make the old time a new time in him through a new creation that comes in light and life. That's what John tells us. This word comes with those two things, light and life. Light to banish all the dark edges of our world, all the dark words, all the bad words that come into us so that we might not be discouraged or frightened by our past that we think damns us or a future that we cannot control. 
And then it comes to us with life because no matter how hard we fight and scratch each day, we realize that in the end, death dwells as a dark reality. And so that we, what we need is this word to come to us, to be spoken to us as the very life itself that is Jesus Christ for you. The very creation of the world wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that's what the word does. The word comes to you as a solid individual into the world for a reason. You you know what that reason is, right? Right? It's you. Just if you're wondering, it's you. You're, You're the reason that Christmas exists. God came for you. Not, not for your neighbor, not for the person sitting next to you, you. Because if, if you think about it that way, then they came for your neighbor, but you don't have to worry about him coming for your neighbor. We need to be worrying about him coming for you. My, my wife will probably correct me on this this afternoon, but I'm just going to go with it anyways. Um, an unborn baby in, in, in the womb can hear the heartbeat of the mother around 18 weeks or so. Okay? By 27 weeks or so, it can hear the voice of the mother and other sounds outside. That's part of the reason why I tell dads, you know, talk to the baby. How are you doing? As you're speaking to her tummy, right? Um, and this is important because this baby imprints then upon that voice. Have you ever noticed that? When you go and you pick up your child or grandchild or niece or whoever, and they're at preschool, or they're at the nursery, or they're at whatever. They hear your voice, if you're a mom or a dad. They drop everything and they come running. Because they know that voice. They've heard those words spoken in that way. The difference is, is that when they're in the womb, it's just noise. It's just this voice out there somewhere. There's nothing really attached to it or anything like that. But what comes once that baby is born into the world. That voice now has flesh on it. That voice now is solidly in their world, and that voice does things, picks them up, holds them, feeds them, changes them, cares for them. No longer is it some sort of abstraction in the ether of their existence, but instead it has flesh on. And that is Jesus for you. This morning, in the word, we have this personal God who comes into the world to step into time and be for you a real presence of himself for you and not just some distant abstract thought. It's not for us. God is not somewhere up there and he doesn't really care and he might hear us when we pray, but maybe not. Because of Christmas, God now is here with Right? That's what we heard. The word became what? Flesh. Sarks. Sarks is not some, some weird word, right, Pastor Chris? It quite literally means flesh, meat. That's what it means. The word became flesh, and then it did what? And it dwelt among us. We, have to, we, we can't talk about this Jesus on Christmas Day without talking about God concarnate, the inflationated word. You know, the, the chili cans that say chili concarnate. Don't get me started because chili is supposed to be meat anyways. But you know, God concarnate, that's Christmas. The inflationated word, God's very love brought into history so that the story of your life, the past, the present, and the future becomes his story. 
making him no longer some detached deity up there in the sky, but God's word with skin on it. God's deciding word, his agape love made manifest, made physical into the sinful world to make new life from his death. We've talked about this before and I will never stop talking about this. We talk about agape love. We always want to think of it as, oh, it's unconditional love. Just love me for who I am. That's not what it is. You have the, you have the love of which you, you are passionate about the person that you love. Like really, really love. Like want to buy, you know, heart-shaped chocolates for and, and roses and all those things. You're attracted to them because you're attracted to them because they're hot, right? <laughs> Sorry. And then you have the friendship love where these are people that, you know, they'll bail you out of jail, right? These are the ones that you love because you've been together since, you know, preschool. You were in diapers together and you, you love each other just because, you know, whatever. Agape love is completely divorced from all that stuff. Agape love is a deciding love. Agape love is looking at someone at their worst, at their least lovable, their most unlovable and saying, I'm going to love that. I'm not going to love them because I think they're hot. I'm not going to love them because we're friends. I'm loving them because I've decided to. And that is why we talk about the love of God in that way, because he's made a decision. And that decision came as this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, a baby born to die. A God who has a body is a God who can die for his people. And taking on that body, now he has skin in the game. He has buy-in to mortality and immortality, to life everlasting. He has put it on the line for you in this word becoming a word, an inflationated word that will always take its chance on you for you because you are the reason he came into the world. The second thing was that dwelling part, right? The inflationated word, the word that came flesh, sarks, and dwelt among us. That word uh, comes from the word skena, which means tent or tabernacle. We've heard about a tabernacle before, right? Exodus. You should never, ever go home and read John 1.14 without picturing Exodus. The word, the tabernacled word. Uh, the tabernacle was built in such a way because they were in the desert, the people of Israel were in a desert. They'd come out of Egypt. Remember, you know, the, the, the whole Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston in the wilderness, the desert. And they build this big tent, and it's devoted to God and to worship and to prayer and the burning of incense and to sacrifice and all these things. But the tabernacle was not built when they were in Jerusalem. It was not built when they were in a city. It was built when they were in the wilderness, which was a place in which people go to die all you have to do is drive out on on you know any road leaving from ridgecrest just pick one anyone it, it it's where everything went so bad for them that they would rather have gone back into slavery than stayed there but where was it that god chose to tabernacle with them in the wilderness Think that God is only there for you in the good times. You've got the wrong God if that's what you think God is like. Secondly, it's built as this tent. Why? So that it could move with the people. 
So I could go with the people. It wasn't to be built as a solid cement structure that could not be moved. It was a tent so that everywhere they went in the wilderness, through all the difficulties of life, going through all the bad words that we hear in our lives, there is God dwelling with us to speak that good word every single time. And then finally, it was a central or guiding word, because if you read it uh, in in Exodus, the tabernacle was was planted, and, and then all the tribes of Israel camped around the tabernacle. That the tabernacle was a central part of the life of Israel, and that is what comes to you this morning in this baby. It's not supposed to be just a a one-off, yay, Merry Christmas, go home, and then hopefully life gets kind of better back to normal and never being there again until you come back next Christmas. No, it is about an everyday Jesus for you, a central guiding Jesus for you. One of the worst things about living in northern Minnesota, I, I, I didn't hate it completely, but one of the worst things about living in northern Minnesota for, for an extended period of time is that Christmas was awesome, right? You got snow at Christmas, but, although we haven't had, we haven't had a, a white Christmas, you know, it was like touch and go sometimes. But you, you get the, the snow and you get the lights and you get the music and, and my wife's baking and, and all these things. But you know what the problem is? Christmas ends and January shows up. We lived in a place where at least for two weeks in January, it did not get above zero. Think about that. It was negative degrees for two weeks straight, and it's dark. It sucks. I'm serious. You think 120 here is bad. At least I can wear shorts and flip-flops to the office. There, you could not put on enough clothes. You go outside and it's going to kill you within seconds. That was the problem. You get done with Christmas and January's there. Darkness and cold and gloom and seasonal affective disorder and all those things. Christmas is over. But not really, because with a Jesus that comes to you wrapped in flesh that enters into your world, into your time, into your life. That's a Jesus for January, too, and February, and March, and April, and May, and June. You pick a month. He's there with you. A word that dwells with you is the light and life you need throughout all times. In Jesus, you have a God purposefully and permanently moving towards you out of his love and mercy, making himself present in your best or your worst Christmases, present in all the places you have gone, present as central to all of life, the present you have that has come as flesh and bone to live and die and rise so that you may be reborn in the life this child gives to you today, this morning. Where all the words spoken to you become absolutely nothing for you so that he can be the beginning and the end. The very last word for you this morning is Jesus Christ for you, your Jesus. Merry Christmas. Thanks be to God. Amen.